everybody, what is going on? And welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. And this is episode, yes, 230. And more than that, it is part of our continuing saga on trying to work through what it means to have this distinctive Christ-centered vision in the world and trying to do that in uh, kind of the heritage that many of us have been reared within. And so this whole series has been this idea of kind of letting go of some of the baggage that is in our evangelical-ism and getting back to a more Christ-centric vision to be everyday missionaries. And that is always going to be the thrust of this podcast. So once again, I always want to remind, it's not the everyday theologian, it's not the everyday uh, discipleship maker in the most broad sense. It's about how we can effectively be missionaries in our American context, where inside that context, there's a lot of things that want to kind of strap onto our faith and kind of bloat it out a little bit. And sometimes in the bloat, we then get away. It's like mission drift. We get away from being missionaries and we get caught up in all these other sorts of things. And so we're just trying to figure out how to do things different and how to do them in the way that Jesus articulated and gave us architecture for that distinctive way of life. Now, if some of you are of uh, those who are watching, uh, you will notice that there is a change of scenery behind me. And so uh, I'm, I'm making some changes at home with home offices. We're hoping to be vacating the hub down here in a couple of months. Uh, and so I'm going to have to take all of my my resources, my books that are at the hub and put them in a home office. So we're finding like the second biggest room in the house to turn into my home office and we're doing all of that stuff. And so if you're watching right now, you're looking behind me and you're like, that dude has a lot of books. Yeah, I guess I do have a lot of books. In fact, I'll pan over to the side here for fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot of books. It's Now, they're all cardboard fronts. Don't worry about it. It's not really books. I don't really read. I, I went to public high school. I, I can't read. So, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, anyway, so I'm making some changes. So in the meantime, I'm doing podcasts down here at the Hub until I get the home office all put back together because uh, that'll be about a year of um, being in the home space for all of my resources until we'll be in the new building down here on 203 and the official final hub that does everything is in place. So looking forward to that. But that is not what we're doing today. For those who are listening, you're like, all I know is that he made some noise. I'm assuming he panned over some things and I don't know what it is. So, but if you go and look at the video version of this, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But that is not the mission of the day. The mission of the day is, I think we're in part five of this exploration on maybe some of the things that kind of, again, latched on to our Christian faith that have a cultural kind of influencer. And I think it's things that create a distraction uh, from what it is we're most called to do. And so we've been trying to scour the landscape of the different things. And, and I think we'll probably end the series on a part seven. So we're part five. We've got a couple more to go after this. Uh, and, and then we'll kind of round it out. And then we'll move on to who knows what. Something else, something hopefully interesting, helpful, and insightful for our ability to be missionaries in this particular culture and context. But today's topic here on my screen is the difference between kingdom building and apocalypse avoiding. Yes, kingdom building versus apocalypse 
avoiding. And, and this one may seem a little bit strange, maybe within this particular series, but I actually think it's one of those things as I've been trying to work through, like, what are the things that were my own biases or what are the things that I have found have gotten in the way historically of maybe being more Jesus-like or Jesus-centric? And I've been more kind of kind of, you know, this kind of evangelicalism thing. Uh, this is one of those things that really stuck out to me as I was processing through the different variables and options related to this. And so let me see if I can help kind of articulate first what I mean by apocalypse avoiding. So, and, and I almost called this uh, apocalypse warning instead of apocalypse avoiding. And, and both are kind of true, right? Because I think one of the things that is true to evangelicalism, more so than the other kind of Christian traditions that are out there, is that we have this unique emphasis on end times studies, right? So we, we're a little bit more disposed than most other Christian groups to being kind of invested into the end times. We've got all the kind of left behind books. There's all sorts of kind of energy put behind the seven years of tribulation and the rapture and when will the rapture be and what are all the dynamics globally that are in play and is there a one world government and who's the antichrist and what kind of economy do we need to worry about and who's going to rise up as the beast and who's got the 666 number and is it a microchip in a syringe or is it something that you actually have stamped on your head and your forehand or back of your hand or whatever it is and and, and so we have all these kinds of questions about that and and again this is sort of unique to evangelicalism uh, more than any other grouping that it's out there. And from that, there is this sense almost at times that says, you know what? Hey, it's all going to burn in the end anyway. It's all going to come to a close. God's going to come and stomp it all into oblivion anyway. So why make much investment into this place, right? Earth is not our home. We're just a passing through and it's all going to burn anyway. So the idea of making real uh, systemic change and investment from a Christ-centric perspective, sometimes that gets a little lost on us because we're like, why bother? Like, we're just waiting for Jesus to come back, punch the devil in the face and be done with the whole thing, right? So that's kind of some of the perspective that's in there. And so there's this idea of kind of apocalypse warning and we're just biding our time and waiting till the end and longing for that end to come so we can be kind of justified and vindicated and the bad guys can all kind of suffer the penalty for their crimes against God. Like that's kind of one element of this. But the other element of this is this idea of apocalypse avoiding. And so at the same time that people are saying, hey, there's going to be this antichrist, there is going to be this mark of the beast, there is going to be this one world government, there is going to be all of these things, there's also a tone that's trying to avoid all of those things, but more from a political perspective at times than even like a, a, a biblical or Christian perspective. And so we fear one world government, so we try to make sure that can't happen. We fear the mark of the beast, so we try to make sure that can't happen. We fear an antichrist, so we try to make sure that can't happen by all these political means and making sure that there's checks and balances and all of that. And it's kind of funny to me because it's like, if you believe this is a prophetic reality that's going to happen, then why make any investments into trying to stop it from happening in any way? Like, you know, I, I remember this even as of late with kind of concerns about our like 5G cell tower, somehow the mark of the beast, or is there a microchip that's being put into us and that's the mark of the beast and, and, and all these kinds of things. And I'm like, well, if it's coming no matter what, like, why are we trying to slow that roll a little bit? I'm like, shouldn't you rather get the show on the road and get Jesus to come back? Like, that's one thing I kind of think about in this. But then the other thing is, again, it's like we're making all the investments in the wrong place. 
It's like our focal point is riveted toward this negative kind of apocalyptic end for the world. And therefore, from that, we're either fighting it in wrong ways or we're just kind of waiting around until the destruction happens. And again, Jesus comes back and everything's over. And yet, I don't think that either one of those attitudes are actually the things that Jesus commanded us to do as we're waiting for the end. All right. So part of this kind of comes out of something I just did here in the Gospel of Luke last week, where Jesus talks about, hey, the kingdom started when I showed up in my first coming. Right. And with that, the the things that we are supposed to do as kingdom people, those things are clearly articulated by Jesus that we do those things and we do those things until one day the Son of Man returns. And so the kingdom's inaugurated in the first coming, the kingdom's consummated in the second coming. And between the bookends, we have responsibility. And in those responsibilities, what we don't have is a responsibility is to fear an antichrist, is to fear a mark of the beast, is to fear a one world government, is to fear a global economy. You know, we're never told to fear any of those things. We're also never told to fight or resist those kinds of things. If anything, we're called to be discerning in the wake of those things, but our calling is kingdom building. Our calling is to take ownership of the things that Jesus calls us to embody, inhabit, display in our world, those values that he says brings change. And we are to be engaged in the work of kingdom building more than apocalypse warning or apocalypse avoiding, right? So the whole idea of the apocalypse, at best we should just be, oh Lord, come. Like we can't wait for you to come. But until the day you come, my my nose is going to be to the grindstone. I'm going to be doing the things that you most want me to do in the ways you've most instructed me to do those things. And, and I realize over the course of time that to do the things that Jesus calls us to do for kingdom building takes a great deal of fortitude and faith because we're going to be much more tempted to act in fear and security wanting, security building, safety ensuring, more than kingdom stuff. Like we're going to want to protect our lives in this life because we're worried about all of those kind of end times threats. But Jesus says, wait, that's not how I told you to use your time. I didn't tell you to to, to, to use your energies protecting yourselves from all the bad things that can happen. I called you to use your energies to invest into all the good things that I am doing in this world through you to advance my kingdom and my cause. And I think part of the problem on this for us is that we even see the end of this age as predominantly negative as opposed to predominantly positive. Now, I know that's a shift for some of us right there because we're like, no, no, Matt, didn't you read at the end of the story, everything burns before Jesus comes back and then obliterates. And I'm like, I'm not positive that is the full narrative of the New Testament. In fact, there's this one story Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13, and he tells the story of a farmer who has this field and he goes out and plants in the field, but then by night the enemy comes and he also plants some other types of seed in the field to where eventually as everything begins to grow and, and the crop begins to reveal itself, there are wheat in, in the field and there are weeds in the field, right? And, so, and then Jesus says, you know, just let them grow together. And then as they grow together at the end of the age, just harvest everything and that's where you will separate the wheat from the weeds, 
But then Jesus tells then the lesson inside the story. And the lesson that he gives there is pretty foundational. He says, hey man, at the end of the age, the wheat are my people. The weeds are the sons of the wicked one. The angels are the reapers and they will reap out of the field, which he says is the world, is the earth. That's the field in the story. He will reap out of the earth all of the weeds and what will be left over is the wheat. Now, I want you to hear that for a second because it's very tempting for us to start overlaying our our eschatology that we've been taught in evangelical circles more than most Christian global circles or historical Christian circles. Uh, We'll hear that and go, oh, so at the end of the age, the rapture happens, we're taken out of the world and what's left is the bad guys and then they're destroyed. But that's not what the parable says. The parable says that it's the disbeliever that's removed from the world and the believer remains in the field. He harvests out of the field. It says out of the world is the illustration of the story. All who are the sons of the evil one or the wicked one. And what's left are the sons of God in the world. In other words, the ending of this era is Jesus returns and he takes away in judgment all that offends. He leaves all that are righteous in him, which is even the other warnings that Jesus gives, like in Luke chapter 17 and in Matthew chapter 24 through 25, this idea of taken away are those taken away in judgment, not those taken away unto glory, right? So so part of this is is kind of tricky there because what we see as Jesus articulating the end of the age is different than the way we sometimes assume like, hey man, I I eject and then seven years of chaos ensues and then Jesus has his second coming and, you know, it's like, no, Jesus actually says, no, it's actually kind of reversed. You remain, they go. I think the other thing to realize is that sometimes we go, well, and then it's the majority that goes and only a minority that remains. And yet, even there, I go back to John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but they'll have an everlasting life. And then immediately it says, but understand, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world would be saved through me. Like, that's what Jesus' mission is, to save the world. And I think we need to change our, our, our kind of optimism-pessimism scale here a little bit. Because... What I tend to see throughout the New Testament is not the majority get pummeled and the minority are brought into glory, but rather over the course of time, Jesus is making all things new. Over the course of time, he is redeeming all things. The very essence of the cross, you see it in Colossians chapter one. It's like he did this to reconcile all things in heaven on an earth. Philippians 2 says even under the earth, which is just mind-boggling to me. And so I don't know what that all means, but what I tend to see is the victory of Jesus is the victory in in really winning the world, rescuing the world, kingdom building in this world, fulfilling the promise to Abraham that in him the nations would be blessed. It's not in Jesus the majority of the nations are cursed and, and doomed, but rather in him the nations are blessed. It's why the nations come into the new Jerusalem and celebrate even the kings of the nations, which are traditionally seen as the bad guys, are eventually redeemed and they worship Jesus as the one good king. And so this is why I get excited about the idea of kingdom building far more than I get excited about apocalypse warning or apocalypse avoiding because the trajectory of the story is we've got a job to do. 
We've got a job to do. We have things to do. And the things that we have to do are not being the denizens of morality and society, but rather it is to be the ambassadors of what the kingdom is all about. And this is why I preach kingdom so hard and I'm pushing kingdom so hard. This upside down, backwards, greatest, least, first, last model that Jesus gives because he's so clear. He's so clear in what he wants us to do. He's like, hey, if you want to gain your life in this life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. It's so upside down and backwards, it's hard for us to even fathom. That's the stuff of faith. It's believing that this backward, upside down, cockamamie version of life is the way that Jesus will get real stuff done in the world. And see, I say all this because I think sometimes with our fears of the apocalypse, our worries of the apocalypse, our wondering if that's the Antichrist and that's the beast and that's the the mark of the beast and all that, like worrying about that derails us from the kind of faith that is needed to live out the kingdom stuff. Because if we're afraid, if we're worried, if we're in security mode, if we're in safety posture, then we're not going to risk ourselves to do the kingdom stuff. Because by their, 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 their sheer oppositeness, they go against ideas of safety and security and well-being and posture. It's like the opposite of all of that. Like, it's not the strength of this world that gets Jesus stuff done. It's the weakness of this world. It's not the wise things. It's the foolish things that get things done. And that's why you see that repeatedly throughout the New Testament. I mean, I always go back to the Sermon on the Mount because it's so just incredibly simplistic to understand. He's like, if you want to make a real difference and a real dent in this world, then you don't worry about securing your peace. You worry about making peace for others. If you want to make a real difference for the kingdom, you don't try to avoid your persecution or go against your potential persecutors. Rather, you embrace persecution with joy. You want to make a real difference in this world? He says, man, you want to turn the other cheek when you're punched. You want to go the extra mile when authority tells you to take a step. You take two steps because you're showing them you're willing to serve them in love so they can see real love, real genuine mercy and grace in your life and in my life. Like All of these things are excuses to highlight the power of the gospel and our belief that life in this life is not nearly as precious as the life we have in Christ. And so we forgo comfort, security, ease, safety in this life to do the stuff of the kingdom. Jesus says, hey, what it means is to love your enemy, do good to your enemy, pray for your enemy. Like if they curse you, you bless them. If they want to derail your life, you want the best life for them anyway. In fact, it's even what I kind of talked about this last week. Our welfare is not found in us securing our welfare first and then seeking it for other people. No, we seek the welfare of other people first and then in that we find our welfare. It always comes back to this idea of service and servanthood and and this idea of, hey, just as Jesus made himself the slave of all, so too we make ourselves the slave of all. Or like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I want to win the more. And so I become all things to all people so as to accomplish that task. See, this is the stuff of kingdom building, kingdom expansion. It's that stuff that says, you know what? 
I'm not going to judge you because you have a life that's different than me, a lifestyle that's different than me, a point of view that's different than me. I'm not going to do that because I've got my own issues. If I judge you, I'm only revealing my own kind of broken heart and broken spirit. Instead, I'm going to deal with all the things that make me judgmental toward you. And then I'm going to come alongside you and try to help you in the things that you have. That's to be our posture toward the world. When we see the brokenness, the sin, the inconsistency, the hypocrisy of the world, we should not run around saying, look at the sin, the brokenness, and the hypocrisy. We should say, man, I've been there. I know that one. I'm tempted to that all the time. That's going to be my problem as well if I didn't have the grace and mercy and spirit of God working in my life. And that is kingdom building stuff. That's kingdom building stuff. See, kingdom building stuff is not making sure we uphold basic morality and civility in our culture. Anybody can do that, really. I mean, anybody can. You don't need God to do those things. You don't need God for morality, technically. You don't need God for ethics, technically. You know what we really need God for? To be like Jesus. What we need God for is to do the stuff of kingdom building because that stuff is genuinely hard. It's genuinely hard. Like even this week, I'm I'm in the section of the Gospel of Luke where uh, it talks about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector and they're both praying to God. And I was looking at that story saying, I am so often the Pharisee there. And, and authentically, uh, it's understandable. The Pharisee is the better guy. He's the better guy, like across the board. He's more upright. He's more moral. Uh, he's the guy that you would trust with your wallet. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't trust the tax collector with your wallet at all. And, and so it's, it's easy to see the moral superiority of the Pharisee. And it's easy to see where we as people of faith, especially in our evangelical background, it's very easy for us to have a moral superiority when we look at the world around us. And yet that's no different than the Pharisee. That's like, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those disbelievers. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those atheists. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those leftists. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those white supremacists. Thank you, God, that I'm not like whatever, fill in the blank. Like, it's so easy to be like, thank you, God, that I'm better than others, but that's not a kingdom value. In fact, that thank you, God, that I'm better than others is what stirs up our sense of fear and our want of security and this then focus on kind of apocalypse more than kingdom because we're thinking like there's a lot of bad people out there and and I got to be worried about the bad people who Jesus is coming is coming to bring an end to and, and we get more focused on that than we do oh wait I need to reach out to these people that I perceive as bad and yet they're no worse than I would be apart from the grace of God which is exactly what that story of the Pharisee and the tax collector reveals that the tax collector is in fact the bad guy But a bad guy who sees his need throws himself on the mercy of God. And Jesus says that guy walked away and and, and he was justified by God because he he knows all too well his own potential weakness, humanness, sinfulness, and throws himself on God's mercy. And he doesn't think he's better than anybody else. In fact, he thinks he's the worst of all. And God says, yes, that is the humble heart that I can use. That is what will contribute to kingdom expansion. That is a person that will risk everything everything for the gospel because they know the grace of God. That's the space that Jesus wants us to inhabit. And I think if we can really begin to rally to that, rally to this idea that, hey, I'm here to kingdom build. I'm not here to worry if tomorrow is going to be like a a train wreck of a day socially, culturally, or globally, but rather I am here to make a difference and make an impact by bringing positive, beautiful, flourishing change to whatever space I'm in. Like if that's our focus, then that's the stuff that Jesus rewards. That's the stuff that that he praises. And that's the stuff that we're to be about. 
And so my encouragement to all of us is to go, wait, we have what we need for this. We have the marching orders. We have the Holy Spirit that empowers us. We have the strength to do it. I mean, I think about that even with Paul where he's like, hey, when I am at my weakest, that is where grace is strong in me, right? Remember when he's in that that deep, dark spot of like, God, there's this thorn in my flesh and it's just wrecking my life and I don't know what to do and please take it away. And then Jesus is like, no, bro, I'm going to leave that there because when you are then at that place where you don't have security, safety or wherewithal, you only rely on me. And when you only rely on me, then I'm powerful in you. And when I'm powerful in you, Paul, that's when you do kingdom building, kingdom flourishing stuff. See, that's the place that we can be, that we would long to be, want to be, that we should strive to be in that space. More than looking around at our world and judging it, we should look around at our world and ache for it and love it and serve it and figure out how we can come alongside and bring betterment to it. Because that's the stuff of missionaries, right? Missionaries, when they go into an environment, if they just come in and be like, oh, there's the problem, there's the problem, there's the problem, this is all going to hell in a handbasket, so uh, I'm just waiting around to the end, that's a failure for a missionary. No, a missionary rolls up their sleeves, serves their culture, finds inroads to people's lives, loves them in the space they're at, isn't judging them for their behaviors, their cultural baggage, their 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 weird habits, whatever it is. No, they just come alongside. They make an investment. They care for people and they bring Jesus to every conversation. They bring Jesus to every disposition. They bring Jesus to every bent toward care that they can. Like they do that because that's the stuff Not only of missionaries, but that's the stuff of the kingdom. That's the stuff of Jesus. It remembers that it will receive mercy because it's given mercy. It will receive compassion because it's given compassion. It sees the the, the, the image of Jesus in the worst of the worst of the least of these and loves recklessly and radically in that space. See, that to me is kingdom building, kingdom advancing right? Kingdom investing. And that's what we should care about. More than preoccupations about what's happening in the Ukraine or what's happening in the United States or what's happening in the news or whatever else. We should look at all of that and it should give us a sense of urgency of, oh yeah, and this is why I need to do the upside down and backward stuff of the kingdom. Oh yeah, that's why I need to really believe that Jesus' way is the best way. Oh yeah, that's why I have to resist my temptation to try to create my own securities and certainties for the future. And instead, I should realize that Jesus is my only security and his kingdom is my only real future. And from that, I give everything to that. And I believe that if we do that more, if we are kingdom-oriented more, if we are loving of our friends, loving of our enemies, loving of our neighbors, because we are in so we are so much in love with our God, the more we're doing that, I believe that is the space in which we will be effective everyday missionaries.